0: There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the, fea- when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send, and c- would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet seeking another there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans had formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sing or charge God with wrong.
1: Friends, it's easy. It's easy to worship on the mountaintop. It's easy to give thanks when you're standing on the peak. You know, like we just sang, the beauty of the earth, the wonder of each hour, the joy of human love. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise. I mean, it's easy to give thankful worship when you're surrounded by the beauty of the earth, when you're content with the time in which you live, when you're surrounded by the joy of human love. Uh, Praise just comes naturally forth from us when your cup is full. Praise just Fills forth when your body is whole, when your relationships are strong, when your prayers seem to be answered. It's natural for us to give praise from the mountain peak. And coming into this Thanksgiving season, some of you are on the mountaintop. Some of you are on that peak. And if you are that season, friends, praise God. Let your Thanksgiving pour forth. Let your Praises be unashamedly sung. Let your worship resound for all to hear, because it is natural for us to give God thanks when we are on the peak. But today, I want to talk to you that are not sitting on the mountain peak, but maybe sitting down on the ash heap. When Jacob and I were planning the songs for this morning's service, Jacob reminded me of a song titled Even If by the music group Mercy Me. And in that song, they say, it's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? Friends, it's easy to sing when everything's going right on the mountaintop. But what about when you're in the flame? What about when your dreams have just been burned to ash? When your body is broken? when your relationships flame out, when hope is destroyed, and when you sit in the ashes as they go to ashes, and the dust returns to dust. Because I know that there are some of you that are here today, and some of you watching us online, who feel that way. You're coming into this Thanksgiving, and you're saying, I don't know what I have to be thankful for. And friends, if you're not there right now, you remember a time, probably when you felt like that. And if not, friends, every one of us at some point in the future will be at a time where we stand not on the mountain peak, but we sit on the ash heap. There are times when we all have been or will be be forcefully and unexpectedly pulled off the mountaintop down to the depths. And what will we say when we're held to the flame? What will we say when ashes to ashes and dust to dust? Job, the man that we meet in today's reading, he started chapter one on the mountain peak. Everything was going well. Everything was going right. And by the end of chapter one, nothing was going well and nothing was going right. He was forced, forcefully pulled from the peak to the ash heap. And friends, Job, this book is, is part of a, a collection in the scriptures called the Wisdom Literature. In the wisdom literature, it includes wisdom. How do we live in this broken world? How do we live in a world that does not always work right? How do we live in a world that's tainted by sin? And and included amongst the wisdom literature, we have books like Proverbs. Now, Proverbs offers us some wisdom on the right way to live so that we can live the good life. And the thing about Proverbs is that you might read the book of Proverbs and come to the conclusion that you always get what you give. That you always reap what you sow. Because Proverbs operates like that. It tells us this is how to live so that you get this outcome. And here's some wisdom. Uh, How to sow good so that you reap good. How to give that which is good so that you get that which is good. And friends, in general, this is usually how the world works. I mean, there are direct consequences connected to our actions. If you drink and drive, you're going to lose your license. Or worse. If you invest wisely, you retire securely. If you neglect your wife's husbands, you harm your marriage. If you go to the gym, you build muscle and endurance. If you don't study, you fail the test. There are consequences to our actions, and it's usually how the world works. You reap what you sow, but then we come to a book like Job, and it throws a monkey wrench in everything. Job's suffering reminds us that this world is broken. And it doesn't always work the way it should, and as such, sometimes comes upon our life calamity, suffering that is just absurd and unprovoked. You see, Job, his suffering is clearly and made clear multiple times, even in this opening chapter, disconnected from what he's suffering. Verse 1, what do we see? There was a man in the land of us of whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's actually what God says about Job later on in the chapter. This guy so fears God and wants to honor him that after his children have gathered for a feast, did you hear what happens in verse 5? When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate his children. He'd rise early in the morning, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them. Because Job said, it may be that my children sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Friends, Job worries that they might have sinned. That they might have. And and not even cursed God with their mouth. Maybe they cursed him into their hearts. He is so desirous to be right before God and that his family be right before God. He is blameless and upright one who fears God and turns away from evil. And that just heightens the utter absurdity of what happens to him. Clearly, Job is not reaping what he's sown. He's not getting back what he's given out. In fact, the majority of this book is actually filled with arguments from Job's so-called friends who show up and they keep telling him, Job, have you read Proverbs? Job, have you read Proverbs? If you're reaping bad, then you must have sown bad. If you're getting evil, then you must have given out evil. And yet, at the beginning of the book and to the very end of the book, in the end of the book, God himself shows up and vindicates Job. In chapter 42, the final chapter, Job will, God will declare, Job has spoken rightly and Job, pray for your friends in their folly. So from the beginning to the end, this book makes clear that Job is not reaping what he's sown. He's not getting what he's given, which makes Job's suffering feel all the more absurd and meaningless. And makes the book all the more relevant to you and to me. Because in the midst of our pain, it always feels absurd and meaningless, doesn't it? Every one of us has already or will eventually experience calamity. The late night phone call, the conversation with the doctor, the refusal to reconcile, the accident, the pink slip at work, the medical bills you can't pay, the final door slams, the literal last nail is hammered in the coffin. Friends, often our grief and pain doesn't come as a clear punishment or a direct consequence of our sins. Calamity can just come out of nowhere and it baffles our sense of justice. Because when you're suddenly knocked down from the mountain peak and you find yourself on the ash heap, it seems absurd. It seems utterly meaningless. And coming into this Thanksgiving, I know that there are people here who are feeling that way. There have been deaths that feel unjust and untimely. Medical diagnoses, physical suffering, chemical addictions, marital tension, inflation is emptying our pockets and our retirement accounts. COVID has emptied our churches. Political elections not going exactly the way either side wanted them to go. Friends, it is easy to give thanks from the mountain peak. But what about from the ash heap? At the end of this chapter, Job sits with us there on the ash heap. And what does he do? Verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head, and fell on the ground, and worshipped. Job wept, and Job worshipped. He wept, and he worshipped. And friends, we need to do both. Notice Job doesn't gloss it over. He doesn't just put on a strong face, he doesn't look on the bright side of life. He doesn't find the silver lining. He doesn't just get over it. He isn't just H-A-P-P-Y in Jesus. In that culture, to tear your robe and shave your head were signs of significant mourning and grief. Job lamented. Our English word lament comes from Latin for weeping. Job wept. And friends, when we sit upon the ash heap, so must weep. We need to lament what now is. We need to lament what now is not. And we need to lament what now will never be. Job lamented. He wept. Because friends, our suffering, it seems absurd. Especially when we see no obvious reason. When there are no clear answers. When there's no silver lining. When there's no lesson to learn. There's just the weeping. And friends, that's okay. If that's where you are today, it's okay because God meets us in our weeping. Up to 70% of the psalms are or contain lament. They're songs and prayers that were given to us by God Himself so that we can weep before Him and so that we can weep with Him. Because this world is just not how it's supposed to be. Friends, take comfort in the fact that the shortest verse in the Bible, one I'm sure that every one of you here can memorize, is John 11.35, which simply says, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, and maybe one of the most profound. It comes as Jesus goes to the funeral of his friend Lazarus, and he witnesses the pain of those who are in attendance, and Jesus Weeps with them. Friends, our God weeps with us. We live in a world that is scarred by sin and its effects. We lament the brokenness of our bodies, the brokenness of our minds, the brokenness of our relationships, the brokenness of our social systems, the brokenness of this creation. And we have to lament because this world is not how it should be. And Job here laments. Which is exactly what we would expect him to do in this situation. But friends, that is not all that Job does here in this situation. Job weeps and Job worships. Now notice, Job's worship doesn't negate his weeping. Job doesn't say, I am over it. Job doesn't say of his loss, eh, it wasn't a big deal. Job's worship doesn't say, well, now I understand and I have all the answers. Friends, Job weeps as he worships. His worship rises actually from his weeping. Church, understand that in this broken world that we live in, our worship is so often tinged with lament and it's stained by our tears. Two months ago, the Christian music group Rend Collective released a new album. Included on that album is a song titled, Hallelujah Anyway. Hallelujah Anyway. And the first verse of that song declares, I'll find a way to praise you from the bottom of my broken heart. Because I think I'd rather strike a match than curse the dark. Yeah, I'll find a way to thank you, though the bitterness is real And hard. Because I'd rather take a chance on hope than fall apart. I don't think I'm ready to surrender to the dark. The whole thing is a song of worship from weeping. It's a song that declares, I don't get it, God, and it hurts. But I'll find a way to say hallelujah anyway. Friends, Thanksgiving can and must rise as readily from the ash heap. As it does from the mountain peak. Because we will spend a significant amount of our lives in both places. We need to learn like Job to declare as he does in verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job can worship at the peak. He can worship on the heap. The Lord gives, the Lord's taken away, and Job chooses to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Friends, not just this Thanksgiving season, but every season. Can we do the same? How do we do the same? You know, consider the central conflict to this story. I mean, Job never saw everything that was happening behind the curtain, but we do. We find that the curtains pulled aside for a second and we see going on uh, the divine throne room and the Satan, which means the accuser, shows up before the Lord and accuses Job. He accuses him. He says, Job doesn't love you, Lord. He only loves your blessings. Verses 9 through 11. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But, stretch out your hand. Touch all that he has. He'll curse you to your face. Friends, the central accusation that he brings is that Job loves the gifts, but not the giver. Job only loves the blesser because of the blessings. So Satan accuses Take him from the mountain peak and throw him on the ash heap. Give him nothing and he will curse your name. And the accusation is he only follows you because the getting is good. He only loves you because things are going his way. He doesn't really love you. He just loves all the things he gets from you. So everything is taken. Everything is taken from Job in one absurd, traumatic, meaningless moment. But friends, in Job's lowest moment, in his lowest moment, is the greatest victory. Because in that same moment, Job proves the accuser wrong. Because Job weeps, as he should and as we would. But he also worships. Praise was heard from the mountain peak. And praise still rises as weak as it is from the ash heap. He worships not because of God's good gifts, he worships worships simply because of who God is. Satan has failed because friends understand that the accuser's greatest aim in life, in this life, is to destroy our joy in the Lord. Pastor John Piper, who's made it his life's work, life's work to invite persons to find their joy in the Lord, says of Job, Satan uses two weapons to try to destroy our joy in the Lord. He uses pleasure and he uses pain. Satan wants to destroy our joy in the Lord and he uses pleasure, he uses pain. And the accuser has failed to choose turn Job away from God in his days of pleasure and prosperity. So now he attacks Job's God-centered joy by bringing the pain. Satan's aim is to destroy our joy in God and to replace it with the treasure of earthly things, of wealth or family or health. Satan did it then. He still does it today. Satan is trying to destroy our joy in the Lord, sometimes with pleasure and sometimes with pain. But Job says, nope, I can worship in pleasure on the mountain peak." I can worship in the pain of the ash heap because the Lord is my treasure. The Lord is my joy. And friends, is He yours? For the the Lord is your joy. You can worship wherever you stand this Thanksgiving. You can worship and sing praises from the peak of the mountaintop or from the heap of ashes. But friends, we need to fight. We need to fight for joy. We need to fight against the distractions of pleasure and the distractions of pain. We need to regularly remind ourselves that He is our joy. I love the song that we sang together just a little while ago. Three times we reminded ourselves. Three times we had to remind ourselves. Come rejoice now, O my soul, for His love is my reward. So fear is gone, hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. Friends, we repeat that truth over and over again so that we remember that truth, so that our hearts come to believe that truth that Christ is mine forevermore. He's my treasure. His love is my reward. And even if I lose all other things, I still have Christ. Even if I gain all other things, church, I still have Christ and He is better. So you can give, you can take away, and my heart can still choose to say, Blessed be your name, because you, O oh Lord, are my greatest joy. Church, says your heart sing that today? Is Christ your greatest joy? Friends, how do we teach our hearts to worship? How do we teach our hearts to worship like Job? From the peak and from the heat. Let me close with three S's. Three S's as we look at this and as we train our hearts to worship. Sovereignty, sobs, and satisfaction. Sovereignty, sobs, and satisfaction. First, notice the affirmation of God's sovereignty. Notice that the accuser came before the Lord and could do nothing to Job without God's permission. Friends, whether we understand or not, God is sovereign. And how does that give us hope in the midst of suffering? Friends, if your suffering is just random, if your suffering just happened and is out of control, then there's no hope for ever finding meaning in it. There's no hope of finding purpose or redemption from it. It's just random chance, dumb luck, and you are out of luck. But, if God is sovereign, then there is hope. Friends, there's hope that maybe there is yet unseen meaning. Meaning. Maybe they're as of yet, an unknown purpose. If God is sovereign, then there's hope of redemption. Of redeeming that suffering and bringing something good. But if your suffering is random, there's no hope. But if God is sovereign, you have hope. So friends, even when your tears flow and you don't yet understand, like Job, cling to the Lord and trust in His sovereignty. The second S is Sob. Because, friends, when your day of calamity comes, sob and weep before Him. We don't minimize. We don't rationalize. We don't rush to get through it. We don't force a resolution or demand a silver lining. As we said earlier, we need to learn, church, the language of lament. Our worship does not replace our weeping. Our worship is in our weeping. Our thanksgiving doesn't come after our grief. Our thanksgiving comes in our grief. So sob and lament. And friends, join with one another in doing so. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans twelve fifteen: Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So don't show up and be like Job's friends who through this book try to explain or try to solve this problem. Simply weep and lament with those who weep. So trust God's sovereignty when calamity, calamity comes. Sob before God freely. And the final S is find your satisfaction in Christ. Friends, fight to find your satisfaction in Christ. Fight to make Him your joy. Tell your soul to rejoice. Christ is mine forevermore. Choose to say, blessed be your name, no matter where you are and what, you're, what you feel. Fight against the distractions of numbing pleasure. Fight against the fear and lies that pain brings us. Fight for joy. Fight that he might be your satisfaction. That he might be your reward and your joy. Fight for it. So remember his sovereignty. Sob freely and find your satisfaction in him. And, friends, as we do so, we pray that thanksgiving would rise, that praise would rise, that worship would rise from us. Wherever we stand, wherever you stand this Thanksgiving, Whether it's on the peak of the mountain or on the heap of ashes, praise can rise. And the only question for us is, will it? Will His praise rise? Let's pray. Father, may Your praise rise. May it rise from the brokenness of our hearts, the brokenness of our bodies the brokenness of our relationships, the brokenness of our communities, the brokenness of this world. May Your praise rise. For we have hope. We have hope in a God who is sovereign and who is redeeming all things. We have hope that there is meaning and that there is purpose that we do not yet see. We have hope in a God who loves us. A God who weeps with us. A God who has called us His own. O Father, May Thanksgiving rise from Your church, this not just this season, but every season. May Your praise rise wherever we stand, on the mountain peaks or in the ash heaps. May Your praise rise. Lord, be our joy. Be our joy, now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.